fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is awesome to be here, and I love how you pick things and I learn stuff. Um, I couldn't figure out why there wasn't the all-important the in the front of the name of this show until I realized it was made in Germany. So it really doesn't need an English title that makes sense. Well, you know, Dennett, I pick things and you learn stuff, but I just learned that you are a polymath. I think that's the word. Uh, <laughs> you, you've, the languages that you know, it's incredible. I love your analysis on it. And hopefully that will continue because this is a German show and we need that little, you know, that je ne sais quoi uh, of, of cultural flair. Uh, but speaking of the je ne sais quoi of cultural flair, we have our enigmatic engineer here, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, this week I'm planning to use this closed-loop time machine behind me to travel back to 1986. And I've been pondering, what should I do when I go back to make things better? The problem is I'm stuck in the loop of that things don't seem to be better, so what could I have done when I went back? <laughs> okay, Ben, we got to calm you down because you are the man we got to send back in time. So I, th I think between the three of us, we're going to figure out how to navigate this complicated structure. Uh, and a complicated structure it is. This episode is inspired by Dark, not the Dark, just plain old Dark, as Denon pointed out. Now, this is, uh, this is a super confusing show, very complicated but I also think it's extraordinarily satisfying. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the family trees are really complicated, which we'll get to in a second. But I, I got to say, this might be, and this is saying a lot, you guys know, this might be my favorite show about time travel. Dan, it is certainly the most satisfying. I'm going to give you that. You know, there's a lot of things that make things favorite. And TV shows, I think you're right, because there aren't many that do it well. But this is what they should be doing. Right, Movies mm -hmm. do time travel badly because they don't have enough time to do it carefully. This show had enough time, three seasons, to get it right. So I'm with you, Dan. At, at definitely the most satisfying, probably mm -hmm. the best TV show on time travel. Lots of cool stuff. One goofy thing we'll get to later, but no spoilers here yet. I wait. I'll, I'll hold the goofy thing for later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. I got to tell you, you know, when I was researching this, I saw every episode – but I, I reread the synopsis, watched the, you know, the timelines and try to get everything in order. I think I only got about 75% of this the first time that I watched it because rereading it, it was, like re, it was like learning a whole new subplot. Uh, but, you know, this is speaking of subplots here, guys, I'm the master of film and television. And symbolism is the subplot of any great piece of literature. And this movie, uh, this TV show has it in spades uh, because the show opens up, you know, it opens up on June 21st, which is, as, as we know, the summer solstice. That's not by accident. Again, everything in front of the camera, uh, every piece of this puzzle is put there on purpose by, uh, by a master artisan. And this is a symbolism. What is the, what is the summer solstice? It's the start of a cycle. And this show is all about cycles, if nothing else. You know, it's different year cycles, whether it's 1952, 2019, uh, 2019. I don't think anyone says 2019. 2019 <laughs> uh, or, or even, you know, 1986. This is all about those different things. The length of 33 years, uh, everything kind of repeating itself. It, it, you know, it talks about that. And you've got the wind in caves here, guys. This is another great piece of symbolism because the caves represent 
where you go back in time. They're they're moving around. It's almost like its own character. The structure is extraordinarily confusing, just like the timeline for this episode. And the family trees are extraordinarily complicated. And all of that is tied into the caves, which are what cause all that stuff to be super complicated. I mean, this was a, a masterwork uh, in 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 you know symbolism and really getting that that second layer that makes a show so great. Yeah, and Dan, I mean, this is an interesting thing because so much of that symbolism I missed the first time. You said you only got 75% of it. You know, I certainly missed, like, I totally missed the whole solstice thing at the beginning. And it does make me think, though, there's other little things I love that I got. You know, the snake eating itself, that world snake that loops around. I saw that early as I was watching it. And so circles, cycles, the, the triune cross or whatever the name of the thing is. I will tell you, with so many cycles, so many symbols... I'm having trouble with all the names and wondering how many of the names yeah. are symbolic. Like, I'm like, oh, should I be knowing something about these German names? Oh. And it makes me very stressed. But, you know, I got all the science, and that's what we're here for today. <laughs> um, right. You know, so well, we'll see. I, I know, I know, Ben, as a fellow sort of scientist engineer, like, where were you with all this symbol stuff? Well, I will tell you, before you say that, Ben, I want to tell you, it's not a triune, it's a triforce. And I think Ben will agree with me on that. <laughs> yeah, <Okay. it's> not, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's not as angular as the triforce, but right. I'll, I'll give it to you. You know, it's, it's the rounded triforce. It's, yep. you know, sharp angles aren't what you need in cycles. We know, we, we know that. Right. Um, you know, Ted, I'm glad you mentioned being stressed because I felt as stressed as I felt in 10th grade honors English trying to explain the symbolism in Macbeth. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the world snake, the Ouroboros. I didn't notice that until deep into season two. I guess it was everywhere, but I think this is why I became an engineer and not a literature, liter, literaturist, li- yeah, literary right. analyst. Correct. There we go. Uh, because I don't see the symbols. That's why I need the cold, hard facts of engineer. Well, I fancy myself a literaturist, and and I think that that's important when you're looking at a show like this, because the family trees, I got to mention this, they are so unbelievably tricky, and it, it's tied into the timeline, which we're going to talk about. But I mean, you know, this this rivals the, the, the Habsburgs of, of ancient Spain, uh, the blue people of Kentucky. I mean, there's so many loops going on in this family tree. It's it's amazing that anyone's even still alive. I mean, it is, it is the weirdest thing. But this speaks to the nature of time that we're that we're kind of talking about here, which is, you know, how does time work? Does it loop on itself? Is it always permanent? We've discussed this on several shows, which we'll get into a little bit of it. But one of the things here, you know, we've talked about this on a previous episode, and Ben, I don't think you shy away from this at all, uh, but you hate little children. And, and, and I think that that's important to note, uh, or screaming little children. I, I hate screaming little children in peril. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, this show's great because what it does is it takes those screaming kids and it hides them throughout time uh, and, and they become missing and then eventually dead, which I imagine just filled you with glee for sure. Well, well or they become adults who mess everything up. Either right. way, they're not they're not screaming little children throughout the show, which is really what I appreciate. I appreciate that it was mostly dumb adults doing mostly dumb things, but at least they were not screaming in high shrill voices. <laughs> and that's key. I mean, that is, that key, is key. That is, key. That is the key show. to a, a show I like is no high, shrill children screams. <laughs> yeah. Well, this made me think, you know, when we're talking about missing children, and if you have a way to travel through time, what better way to hide someone or something than to take them from one time period, stick them in another? They're gone forever. 
By the time, you know, there's one of the characters later on in the seasons, you know, he goes back in time and gets institutionalized. And because the cycles are 33 years, they don't pull him out for 33 years where he's, you know, where he's been hidden for three decades. Uh, it's, you know, this is an insidious way to hide somebody or to hide a crime that you want to do. Uh, Dan, what do you think about this? Is our, is our expert, uh, not expert criminal, but criminal expert. Uh, what, what do you think about all that? <laughs> oh, that was very subtle, Dan. Very subtle. Um, you know, I, I do like it. It's an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, which is better, hidden in space or hidden in time? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are these features, you know, we've talked about this in some of our episodes in sort of analog spying on people, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you go back in time, if you go back in time where there's photographs, video, and so on, there might be that photographic evidence of you um, right. that might accidentally make you easier to find than if you're really hidden in a lo- secure location. So what I like mm-hmm. is the combination mm-hmm of he goes back in time and ends up in this asylum, right? It's it's the yeah. dual. It's the use of space and time to make it even harder. Because with time, you have to remember, you know, as I say, nothing on the internet ever goes away. So if you're going to mm-hmm. hide someone in time, try and get them pre-internet. And that's what's right. happening here, right? Like that's yeah. really, I think that's an important part of the hiding people. <laughs> sure. Pre-internet? Yeah. That's the- <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what's also interesting about it is it, it, Obviously, this is a world where time travel exists, but almost nobody in the world believes time travel exists or even knows Mm -hmm. it could exist. Mm -hmm. So even though you're sending your evidence and uh, misdeeds back in time or forward in time or whatever, no one believes it. No one. It's just a coincidence. It's fine. So I like that. Um, at least in, as long as no one knows time travel exists, I think the hidden in time is the better way to hide your misdeeds. Well, and it's interesting because in this show, what's so unique about it is with a lot of other, you know, either stuff we've covered or some of our favorite time travel, prod, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, Properties. That's the word I'm looking for. Ah, what am I using that, those terms for? Our favorite shows, favorite TV stuff. Uh, there, there's you can go to any time. You, you, it's back to the future. You punch it into a keyboard. You can go anywhere, you know. Um, but in this, it's very specific, and there's only certain ways to travel through time. And it's this is a 33 year chunk. You can kind of go backwards 33 years, forwards 33 years. Uh, this is this is very unique, I think, to this particular way of time travel. And I'm curious, is, is there any reason for that? You know, we talked about cycles. Uh, you know, Ben, I know you're our, our cycles expert. Uh, is there any specific reason for this 33 years? Yeah, well, I like this because they mentioned the show. They talk about the sol- the lunar solar cycle, which is that every 33 years, the the orbit of the moon and the rotation of the earth and mm-hmm. the rotation of and the orbit of the earth around the sun, they all kind of get back in sync every 33 years. You're you're back where you started. Now, of course, we've talked about this in other episodes that that also the galaxy is spinning and the galaxy is hurtling through space. So in reality, you're not back to where you are. Well, you're back to where you are relative to the sun. But at least you got something there that there's this uh, at least local relative resync recycle going on. So I I appreciate that they put a little bit of astronomics, astrophysics into this 33-year situation that's going on. Mm -hmm. And and really, that's just a nice icing on the cake, Dan. Because, you know, the idea of a set time for time travel... You know, if you think about it, 
really the the best physics underlying thing, and I know we're going to go into this in detail, to make time travel is basically what we call a wormhole or anything like that. But it, it's a physical structure, which means it has a length. I put length in air quotes. You didn't see that if you were just listening. And you didn't see it if you were watching either. I, <laughs> I, didn't, see, I, was gonna say, I didn't see it at all. You must right, have you know, did that in time. It was imaginary yeah. air quotes, Dad. But <laughs> right. we, as, in physics, we use the word length for length of space or length of time. But okay. any any... Anything we can imagine now that would look like time travel would have a length to it. And it's nice that they thought of, okay, well, what length are we going to put to it? And as Ben said, they tied it to a known cycle. So putting those two together is, is really kind of cool and something thoughtful um, that people did creating this show. Well, and I think that's interesting because, you know, in the first season, there's three years that are kind of coupled together in that Triforce or Triune. Uh, 1953, 1986, 2019, all 33 years apart, if my math is correct, which I it rarely is, but I think those yeah. are the right ones, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yep. But they're all kind of coupled in this interesting structure we're going to talk about. But when you're talking about wormholes, which is a way that they travel and a different way that they travel. So you're saying that the wormhole length would be 33 years. Is that kind of? Exactly. Yep. Okay. You got yeah, it, Dan. I, See, uh, you're brilliant. <laughs> well, I'm only repeating what you say, Dennis. Um, so how do you that make makes a, you brilliant? <laughs> well, how, so how do you make a wormhole 33 years long? How do you how do you get that? You know, that's that's specific. Well, I mean, again, it is going to have a length. Um, uh -huh. And what I like about this show, right? So you, then you ask the question, well, what are the constructs that make the length necessary? And as Ben said, you're trying to connect two points that are basically the same spatially as well as a distance in time. So mm -hmm. you end up back on Earth. And I do think it's kind of cool. Like you really, you don't want to include the whole motion of the galaxy and the solar system through things. That just becomes too complicated. People won't get it. I yeah. like the idea of, Often its relative position is all that matters. And the mm -hmm. sun, the moon, and the earth, those are the key elements of our existence, right? Without the moon, we're not protected. Without the sun, we don't have any warmth. So let's just get those three back in the same place. Right. So it's not, it's sort of a choice. I can make my wormhole any length. I'm yeah. going to design my device or design my cave to do a length. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick one where I come back where there's actually an earth, a sun, and a moon in the right place for me to yeah. keep going. I like that. And that's key to what we're talking about. I know, Ben, you bring that up all the time. Well, right. And it's also important to think about that if you're going to turn this machine on, uh, every the amount of time you travel is going to require a, 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 a specific amount of energy. So if you're setting up this kind of permanent time travel structure, it's, gonna, it's going to consume a fixed amount of energy, and therefore it's going to travel a fixed uh, length of time because it's a fixed object consuming a fixed amount of power. Right. And that, that, all, that all makes sense to me. And now we're going to talk about the device specifically a little later on, which I find very interesting. But one of the things in this, in this show that kind of, it, it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks mentally, like I had a, a mental freeze, were these, these time loops that kind of appear, these, these, ver these literal loops of time where one thing affects the other um, and you can't have – like so for example, uh, the guy who creates the – Tenenhaus who creates the time machine, he also writes a book about time. But he only writes the book because someone gave him the book early on. You know, and there's no there's no introduction of that information into that closed time loop system. And, you know, this is this was all very weird to me. 
Uh, and it also, another thing about Tannhaus, which I want to mention, uh, and I don't want to get too complicated here, but it's interesting that every person who's developing time travel now has this personal mission to do it. You know, and in in a lot of scientific discoveries, they're very personal. You know, to the people who are who are trying to pursue that knowledge, and I found that to be very interesting. It's you know, everyone who, wa- who wants to do time time travel has something in the past that they want to fix, um, and in this case, he was able to do that because he was given stuff from people in the past, which are just part of his future, and it's all one little time loop. So, Denon, how does this information get introduced so that you can even have it in the first place? Well, it it goes to sort of a fundamental thing that we are very linear and focused on a beginning. Mm -hmm. And beginning and end is something that's critical to us. But it's not intrinsic necessarily in the way the world has to be, right? It's not true that everything has to have an ultimate cause and a final effect. And that's what a loop is. And if you're not used to thinking in loops, it's really hard. Um, because we don't usually experience loops. But, you know, you think about something just spinning around in a, a you know, you take a string and you spin a circle, you know, a thing, a ball in a circle over your head. It's just spinning in a circle. Where's the beginning or the end? I mean, you feel like there's a beginning because you started spinning it. But yeah, that's you could exactly have been right. standing there spinning forever. <laughs> right? There's nothing that says point. you had to start spinning the ball. Right? It yeah. could have just spinning forever in a circle. And then there is no beginning and end. Um, and that's, I think, I, yes, Dan, you look confused appropriately. I feel right? confused, yeah. It, it, it is because, you know, we live linearly, but physics doesn't require time to be linear. It can be a loop. Just like we experience things as particles in a macroscopic world, but we know underlying things is quantum mechanics. And so anytime you think about quantum mechanics, it sounds weird because you don't experience it. We don't experience time slowing because we never go near the speed of light. But if we regularly were going near the speed of light, time mm-hmm. would be very creepy to us. <laughs> so so it, it, it's our lack of experience, Dan, not that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Was, that, yeah. was that at all helpful? Dan, you still look confused. You should go well, back to the beginning and start over. Well, don't you need a, doesn't every effect need a cause? You know, is this kind of where my, where it, it my does, head is. It does, but it doesn't need a cause that it wasn't part of. So... Okay, here's a common image we have. We, we think of the world as having a light. Every event has a light cone, Dan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, imagine a cone spreading out from you now in time and space. Everything in that like, – I mean, you have dogs. You occasionally put a cone over the dog's head, right? Everything yeah. in the cone, the dog can see an impact. Everything outside the cone still exists, but the dog's not causing anything there, mm-hmm. right? And in a normal world, the cone just pay, points upward. So things okay. go A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. But you can take gravity and curve that cone around, right, slowly in a nice big circle and point it back at itself, right? And so A will cause B, will cause C, will cause D, will cause E, will cause A. Mm-hmm. And now you're done and you're back at the beginning. And A <laughs> causes B. So everything has a cause. It's just in a causal loop, not in a causal line. The See, I, just, I, I, sing, I think in circles all the time, Dan. So, you know, it's no the problem. The Ben and dog cone analogy. I love it. Uh, ben, clean, clean this up. I feel like you, you got something well, here. Well, I, I think what – well, no. I, I mean, the problem is you can't clean it up. And, and that's what's interesting <laughs> about the show because they, they mentioned in the show, it's the bootstrap paradox. How did any of this start if the, the guy who gives – the guy basically gives himself the knowledge of how to build the time machine – but how did he get the, that information if he taught it to himself? <laughs> like someone somewhere introduced it. So someone outside of the loop 
kicked off the loop and we're only seeing the repeated loops where the causality is now in this weird paradoxical repetition but something kicked it off and we just don't get to see that and i and i think they mentioned that you know you hear hints of it here and there about the origin world there, there's some mm-hmm. world that did kick it all off mm-hmm. but once it's kicked off it loops forever and that's and you have this paradox but there's no way to solve it because you can't see how it truly started yeah you know dan if you don't like the dog and cone I love the dog. I, I feel like Ben helped us. There's also the, the miniature golf analogy. All right. Speaking my language again. I don't know if you've ever had mm-hmm. the loop to loop on the miniature golf, right? Where you hit your ball into a loop and it goes out the other end of the loop. But if, if you mess it up, it falls through a hole in the loop and just ends up randomly and you don't get near the hole. Does this sound at all familiar or am I just too old? Well, so here, I, when I hit, so I'm the person who's causing the ball to go into the loop. Right. It spins exactly. around the loop and then comes, and then it out, comes the out the loop. Now, if you were to right, close that. that I mean, you, I still kicked it in, but anyway, I, I understand. What right, you're exactly. So if yeah. if instead of it coming out, right, once you hit it in, it closed. It just loops around and does stuff in the loop over and over. Mm-hmm. So that's one way you could create a loop. You could have, as Ben said, there could be an origin world that creates the loop, but you could just have what creation is is spontaneously what forms is a loop. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have to bring foams back, right? Like have to foams have bubbles. When you blow a bubble, you get a whole bubble. Yeah. Where's the beginning and end of the bubble, really, right? now? you just have a bubble, and then mm-hmm. the bubble just exists, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're in that bubble, you're going to go around in circles. Well, speaking of going around in circles, <laughs> which I feel like my, what my head is doing right now, uh, th- there's one thing about this show that is about time loops. It is about going around in circles. So we're talking about very small loops where you have the, you know, the, um, the scientist getting the information that he wrote later to himself earlier so that he can write it again. Where does the knowledge right. come from? Uh, apparently a dog came up with it and stuck it into a, into a head cone and he couldn't get to his butt. That, that's how I it's understand possible. time right we now. Don't know. I mean, may, maybe the, the smart, I mean, we know the smartest creatures on the world are the dogs. Yeah. So perhaps the dogs kicked it off and we just don't get to see that, Dan. Cats would argue with you, but I, I'm with you at that, Ben. Um, Cats are too lazy. <laughs> but, but, but you have all these big loops. But in this show... What's so interesting about it is you have so many people traveling through time, affecting all sorts of different events that make everything occur. And I thought to myself, what a 3D chess game to have to know that I'm in, you know, I'm now in 1986, but in 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 24 hours, I have to go back to 1953 to give someone else something that then I then go to, 20, you know, 2019 uh, and then go back to, you know, 1887 somehow. The, uh, how you would keep all that straight without a secretary or, or an assistant giving <laughs> you like a, a list of your days or someone coming through and coordinating your entire life. I mean, at that point, because it's everything that you do is so vital. That's so confusing to me. Uh, this was to me. This was this was a lot. It's the quintessential part of the show. But also it seems like the most tedious but important part. You know, Dan, I like that you brought this up because I. One thing that always bothers me about time travel shows is when there isn't fixed distance time travel involved. You know, they talk about, oh, we're running out of time or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in Back to the Future, you could go back to any point in time and have all the time you need um, up to like your lifespan, basically. 
But in this show, because the time travel is an exact fixed period of 33 years, there is actually that peril. Because if you spend too much time in the future or the past, then when you travel, you're not going to be at the right time where you're going. So you do actually have to keep to a schedule. And it's actually an interesting twist on making a time travel actually have a time travel show actually have the stakes of running out of time. No, I love that, Ben. Well, because it is interesting. Well, because you are going like from the solstice, you're all every every time period is moving forward at the same rate. I mean, they're all trains going forward. If you want to jump from one train to the other, uh, if it moves past the point you need to go back, you can't go back. There's no really going yeah. back unless you go back 33 years. Then you have, you know, sit around for three decades. No, I love that. And and the other piece, though, about this, Dan, I love Ben's point on the fixed time because that adds that tension you don't normally have. But to your point, I mean, I do see them. There are characters who know, oh, wait, it's going to happen at this point. They remember the time and they remember the spacing. Um, yeah. Some of them, I think, have a notebook with stuff written down mm-hmm. um, that, that they're helps. keeping track of. So they may not have a secretary, but they have a notebook. That at helps. Least. Yeah, right. Um, but there's also, I think, and we don't have, I think this, you know, we can go down this rabbit hole or not, but it does come down to that fundamental question. Do any of these people have any choice in this? Right. Yeah, That's the right. beauty of a time loop is it really creates that sense of linear time. We feel like we're making decisions, but looped time. If A is causing B, C, D, E, and then E causes A, you're kind of done. You're sort of out of choices in that loop. You're just kind of living it. You're a particle obeying right. the laws of physics. Right. And then you don't have to worry, Dan. If you're just obeying the laws of physics, it yeah. will all happen naturally. Yeah, and that seems to be a theme here is everything seems very natural. It it seems that people's motivation to do the thing is caused by the environment and the people around them, and it doesn't require having to check a book or check that notebook. Right. Uh, But sometimes it does. Sometimes sometimes it is checking that notebook. But yeah, you're right. The natural laws uh, are going to push everything forward in the way it goes. Um, but, you know, one of the things there, so there are two modes. You know, we kind of teased this two modes of travel in this show, which I, I thought the first one was so cool. And basically buried within these confusing caves is a series of passageways that lead to these three coupled time periods, which again are 1953, 1986, and 2019. And, and I like this because, you know, you, you go into this cave. If you know where to look, you go through a door. You have to choose left or right. But, uh, you know, so hopefully you pick the right one. But it's, if you're saying if we're getting, going through the natural course of time, you will always pick the right one. And I really like I like the fact that it's permanent. There's nothing really like physics-y magical about it. I don't really quite understand how it works. But I like that it's just built into the structure. You can Anyone can walk through it and you can walk back. And uh, I don't know, it's just very clean. You don't need requ- it doesn't require fuel like the actual time device in this. Um, I don't know. This was my favorite. I really, I've never seen anything like this. I, I loved it, Dan, from two sides. One is um, there's some core, like, cool topology geometry here that could point to, wow, if you're going to have some sort of time travel anomaly, you'd want something like this. And I'll follow up on that very briefly in a moment. I mean, there's also the funky stuff that everything we know about time travel involves bending space and time and involves a lot of energy. So you either get crushed when you go into the wormhole or the wormhole sucks everything in. So there's there's a part of it that like, oh, yeah, I don't know where the science is breaking down. And then I come back to the cool part mm-hmm. of the topology, right? One of the reasons we can't easily manipulate gravity is it only attracts. 
right? We do everything with electricity and magnetism because you've got attraction and repulsion and you can build, build shielding. Like we shield things all the time for electrons. We've talked about that a lot. It made me realize you're possibly your only hope to make a stable time loop is to have interlocking loops and take advantage of interesting topology and maybe the gravity from one loop is shielding the gravity from the other loop so that you can actually get through. Now, an actual specialist in gravity is probably going to be laughing right now and making lots of negative comments. Um, and, well, you we know, don't have him on the on. show, Denon. We don't have him on the show right. for that reason. Yeah, no, so I'm good for that. Yeah. But it, it's a step in the right direction. Topology and the shapes you build, it's like the Gordian knot of time travel, right? Hmm. Making these knots and these structures, I think, is your only hope. I still question whether it'll work in exactly this way without crushing you. But for the point of the TV show, this is another thing I actually loved. I'm with you, Dan. This is one of the best time travel things I've ever seen. Hmm. Well, yeah, you know, fear of getting crushed. I never thought that I had it. But if I'm going to look go through time, now I've got to worry about getting crushed. Yeah, by no, something. you do, Dan. You do. Yeah. It, it's a fear to have. I mean, well, they mentioned black holes, Dan. You should yeah. you should always be worried about getting crushed or spaghettified, <laughs> at least, when when we're talking about black holes. Well, spaghettification I can handle, but it's the crushing. Okay. It's the crushing, right? Because spaghettification, I'm getting reduced to molecules. I'm probably not going to feel it. It's going to happen instantaneously. And the power to pull me apart that quickly uh, is going to be quicker than instantaneous. Well, but Dan, it doesn't happen instantaneously because as you approach the black hole, your time dilates Mm -hmm. uh, and so it actually, I think it kind of feels like forever, right, Denon? Yeah, unfortunately, time does slow down, Dan, as this starts oh, happening. Oh so, God. But, you know, I, I'm with you. Maybe stretching's not as scary as crushing. We, we can go with that. Well, now I don't know. Now, I'm, now I don't know. Now you yeah, guys have changed my mind here. I think here. this is the episode we've set a record for confusing you. Um, <laughs> shall we go for three? <laughs> well, we can. We can talk about the time travel device, which I love, um, for no other reason than it looks like an H.G. Wells inspired time machine and of course what am i going to say gear based technology baby it oh, is yeah. real gear based um it's i love that it's powered by ulrich's cell phone uh one of the guys who gets <laughs> stuck in the past it's powered by modern technology uh uses cesium 137 i believe and a ton of gears to create black holes that transport you around again 33 years but it's you can go outside of that coupled, you know, 1953, 1986, 2019 um, little tri. What do we say? Triune, Triforce. I like that, <laughs> and it's it's kind of interesting. I like that it has fuel, like the DeLorean that you kind of have to um, build it. But tell me how this works. I know there's something about Higgs fields, imploding cesium, creating black holes. Uh, Denon, I know that uh, you love this part. No, I do. And one of the things I love is that they talk about the Higgs particle and also it's nicknamed the God particle, which is just, it's really funny. I, I get why physicists called it the God particle, but really all the Higgs field does is give every other particle its mass. Um, so I'm not sure why it got the name the God particle, because God clearly does a lot more than make us overweight. So a little grandiose, but, yeah. A little grandiose, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah. Um, but that's really the only thing we care about, Dr. Dennis. No, it is true. We only care about our weight, so that's all that sure. matters. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's interesting to think, again, all of the time travel stuff, all of these things comes down to what is it around the world that we can actually manipulate? And we know we can manipulate electricity and magnetism. We wish we could manipulate other things. And if I could control the Higgs field, in principle, I could make something way more massive than it should be. And we know when you have too much mass in a small space, that's the definition of a black hole. So I found this um, a, a 
close to physics mumbo jumbo, but some of the best mumbo jumbo I've ever heard, right? right? Like, yes, the Higgs field controls mass. So let's make the mass of the cesium way higher than it should be. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we'll get a black hole. And this is where I have to interject. The graphics of a black hole being created by a, a uh, I don't know, an inkjet printer were just hysterical. <laughs> like, you don't, you, you watching like the little huh? lightning rays raster back and forth. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how many of our audience knows about raster printers, yeah. but that was just, that was like both fun and goofy. And, you know, it's the kind of goofy physics. I don't mind. I give it credit, but it's totally fun. I think our, the, the elderly members of our audience might know the rasterizing print. I don't. Yeah. I, that might be beyond my even me. I don't know if yeah. that's that's the dot matrix. You mean? Yeah, basically a dot matrix printer where like you're just doing it sort of very obviously line by line. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's not how you print a black hole, then? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's not quite how you print a black hole. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, you know, uh, what about the, you know, in this, a lot of animals, their eardrums get ruptured and fall from the sky. Uh, I imagine more would happen if you created a black hole, but is there any any change in the, that, this was the confusing part to me that I wanted well, to I mean, to me, that just kind of comes back down to when you're doing, when you're messing with mass and creating black holes and things, you're going to create pressure waves and pressure waves are what can Mm. cause eardrum bursts and things like that. Um, You know, one thing, one thing that we don't talk about as much as we should when we talk about the damage from explosions and things like that is Mm -hmm. one one of the reasons it can really hurt you is that that pressure wave can literally explode, not explode your eardrums, but cause such a differential difference of pressure between the outside of your ear and your inner ear that it just blows through your eardrum. So I don't, I think it's less to think about your ears blowing up and more to think there's just a pressure wave created by this technology. And by blowing up, there won't be little explosions inside of your ears. Like when you, when a cartoon character gets really mad is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. (laughs) No, no, it's, it's, but I do like how, how specific the pressure wave is, mm-hmm. Dan. You're right. You don't get the little explosions with stuff coming out, mm-hmm. but it washes over you. And your drums. I mean, I guess they are dead. So there are two effects of the pressure wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but, it probably also causes a lot of uh, pulmonary embolism. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I want to see the autopsy report. Is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> sure. <laughs> wow, we've gotten very gruesome in this episode. Surprisingly, yeah. um, uh, we've we've yeah, it, it's spaghettification. I've got a whole new. Whole new respect for it. Uh, well, the one thing I want to close here, guys, is we we've talked a lot about time and and time machines and time travel, but all of this comes to how does it's how does one travel through life, right? And I was left with this kind of interesting, this interesting idea after watching this show, and that you know it's this idea that life boils down to one singular moment. One decision that you have to make that is influenced by everything that you experienced before it. This happens to several characters in the show. And if you hadn't gone through that very specific series of events in that order, then everything would be different. And when you come to that crucial point, the decision you make would be very different. Uh, This, you know, there's something kind of philosophical about this that I think encapsulates exactly what we think about when we think about time, especially in that linear fashion, not that, not the dog, not the dog cone, uh, <laughs> golf circular, you know, time loop, but in our, the right. time that most human beings kind of uh, experience it. I, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that that's possible? Or do you think that life doesn't really come down to one moment that's silly and we probably make lots of decisions that change the course of, of our direction? Well, I definitely think there's degrees of moments, Dan. I'm with you. And like the number of moments that are truly pivotal are probably not quite as many as we think mm-hmm. um, because there's there's always wiggle room, right? There's, there's sort of fuzziness 
You know, kind of like when we, we talked about everywhere, everything all at once, you know, not every quantum decision splits off a new universe because there's sort of a fuzzy kind of width and probability distribution. That, that's kind of how I, I see this, right, is that you've got kind of this fuzziness and every now and then that fuzziness really kind of collapses to a much more narrow, sharp moment that can have a big difference. And it's really, that to me is the heart of the philosophical question. In those tough moments, is your next decision always just a result of everything that came before but brought to a point? Or do you actually have a choice at that moment? Like you can say, okay, here's everything. It's giving me these two or three choices or whatever. And do you actually pick one of them? Or is it just forced on you by the past? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's like the deep philosophical question mm -hmm. um, that this, this, this show kind of really brings to a point, if I might point that out. Yeah, I think so. I think what's important there is because this is a closed time loop, the things have happened and therefore the decision you make is going to be the decision you make because that's the decision you made. And, <laughs> I, and, I, and it makes me think about, again, you, Dan, with this everything everywhere all at once mm -hmm. and how you are the analytical mastermind and therefore right. you don't spawn many worlds because right. you always make the same exact correct decision. Right. And it makes me think that these time travelers must also be analytical, analytical master masterminds like Careful, you, Dan, right. because they're all, they're also making the same decisions every time because they have they study the data just like you, Dan, mm -hmm. and have to make the, the same correct decision to stay on this closed loop. Well, I would like to think that that they are stuck in a time loop and are therefore forced to make the same decision. May not be the correct decision, and that is a distinction I want to make: is that I make the correct decision when analyzing the data. They're forced; their hands are forced uh, by the unstoppable power of of time. Um, but but it's, inter it's interesting thought. Well, I would say if the time is closed, would the the that decision they're forced into may not be the correct decision because that's what it has to be to make the time work. <laughs> It's in, uh, a lot of wordsmith in there, Ben, but I, you, you might be onto something. I don't want to admit it, but you might be onto something. What is correct, I guess, is what's the definition of correct uh, we have to get into. But one thing, you know, Den and I got to go back to something you mentioned. You know, you talk about these these pivotal decisions that we mentioned. And I'm guessing if a pivotal moment re exceeds the Glenn Constant, then a quantum, <laughs> a quantum world will be spawned. And I think we can at least come to that conclusion after watching both Everything Everywhere All at Once and Dark, correct? Oh, I think so. And it, the fact that we've explained both of these, a quantum and a gravitational one, may mean that we are the closest to unifying gravity and quantum mechanics mm -hmm. um, at this moment in time, which yep. should get us the Nobel Prize in 33 years <laughs> if we don't screw up and mess up the time loop. <laughs> well, let's try. Let's focus. That's going to be the rest. That's the pivotal decision we find before us right now is to not screw that up, because I think I, I would love to share the, the Nobel Prize with you guys. Um, and you do need three people for it, Dan. So we are perfectly positioned. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mr. Nobel, please listen to yeah. what we're doing here. Uh, I like that. Uh, but we, you know, we've come to a point here where we can add a little bit more. What about our errors, additions, and omissions section here, guys? Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, was there anything about dark, time travel, Glenn's constant, uh, Ben's bow tie that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to before the end of this episode? 
Well, now that you mentioned it, I probably should have used Ben's bow tie as an example of a time loop because that would have been perfect uh, for the triune of the two loops coming together. But we'll we'll save that for a different show. I do want to mention a a shout out to a really, really um, old book that I loved as a kid. Julian May has this series, Mm -hmm. um, The Many Colored Land. Mm -hmm. Um, It's connected to a bunch of stuff. And in these books, there is a single anomaly in, I think, France, where if you go through this place, you end up back like in prehistoric times. And one of the cool things about it, spoiler if you haven't read the book, is that the time loops, humans go back um, with with mental powers and create humans out of the little Australopithecus or whatever they're called mm-hmm. running around. Mm-hmm. And the humans with the mental power become the myths of elves and dwarves and other things. Hmm. It was a really clever like wow. premise that uses just a single directional time anomaly. And what I liked about this one is it added the additional loops connected together. So um, there have been other examples. This was never a TV show. It was a book. um, And it took like four incredibly long novels to explain instead of three seasons of a TV show. But if people really like that time travel idea and fantasy, it's an oldie but a goodie. And, you know, I get no money out of pitching it, but what the heck, I'll recommend it here. (laughs) Well, it sounds great. Now, I, I have to say, Dan. Yeah. I do get something for pitching this. Oh, for so, sure. Yes, you right. do. You so, do. you know, I forgot to loop it into the episode, but I'll loop it into the errors and additions <laughs> that you really want to drink your water out of yeah. a I am the physics phenom mug Definitely. if you have any coolness in your body, body at all. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, ben, I know that you're pretty cool. You got to drink out of something if you want to maintain your coolness. Absolutely. You, you, if you don't have a mug and you're on the go like these time travelers, maybe you want a fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology metal water bottle, which is robust and strong for all, whether it's crushed or spaghettified as you travel through time. <laughs> right. Well, and I've got to bring up my mug that I love. Uh, I'm drinking water out of my mug uh, because, you know, normally I, I put on a T-shirt, but it's been so hot here in Los Angeles. I got to drink water and I don't have one of those water bottles handy, uh, but I love my mug, guys. Um, but, you know, that was a, a beautiful little sneak in there. That is definitely an error that w- and an omission that we could not do without. Uh, but what about you, Ben? Is it true that you use a Gordian knot? Is that what it's called? A Gordian knot? To tie your bow tie, uh, or do you used to do something more sim- uh, more simple and, and easy to replicate? Uh, actually, I go for an Escher knot. Uh, you know, it, it, you can't really. It, it takes some extra dimensions, and you can't really comprehend it. But it, uh, that's that's why I don't look while I'm tying the tie because if I looked, it would probably you know some sort of uh, dark ones you know Cthulhu esque yeah. thing might happen to my mind. It'll drive you, know, you gotta, insane for sure. Gotta, yeah. Drive me insane. Uh, Speaking of what, like, this show was actually a little personal for me because I was born in 86, Mm -hmm. and now obviously 86 for us is not 33 years ago. Mm -hmm. That would be 89. Mm -hmm. And when I think of 1989, I think of some of my first memories ever uh, Mm -hmm. are back then. So now I'm thinking personally about if I were to travel back in time right now, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be to my my self – where I'm just starting to remember things and be truly be a conscious living human. So I need to get off my butt and start doing this because clearly uh, I don't remember uh, uh, meeting my future self. But if I'm going to do that, I better do it soon so that I'll remember uh, myself coming back to the past. 
too. Uh, t- give me some tips. <laughs> I, I, th- I think you probably don't remember because you may not recognize yourself. You've grown hair out since the since you know twenty twenty, and you look very different. And maybe you don't recognize that it is you whispering in your ear. Always wear a bow tie. Maybe that's where this all came from. You've done it before, Perhaps. Ben. Uh, it is in your future. Uh, you know, one of the things about this show, there are two things that I wanted to mention here that are very important. Number one, this is the only show that I've ever watched, and I've watched a lot of David Lynch stuff, where they have a character who's got a strange quirk, like miss, like traumatic eye injury. Uh, one of the cops has this, this he, has, he had some kind of injury to his eye. They never mention it. They never explain it. It only kind of evolves. But I've never seen anything like that never addressed in a TV series, which is so bizarre. And uh, Jonah, is when he's looking around, he's using a Geiger counter to find his way through the cave. I have that exact same make and model of Geiger counter, uh, <laughs> which, which made me feel really happy to know that that is a quality World War II era um, Geiger counter that still works and that is possibly still the industry standard. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I'm going to say that it is. <laughs> Uh, but of course, if there's anything that we missed, you want to reach out to us, you can find the show at social media. That's the best way to do it. We are on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We are on Facebook at FGGBT. And of course, you can find everything on FGGBT.com. But if you want to reach us individually, maybe there's something you want to tell Denon about his time travel exploits that you don't want Ben and I to know. You got to give it, send it to him personally. Denon, where can people find you? Well, all you got to do is flip my name on Twitter and Instagram, and it's at Den and Michael. Um, on Facebook, you do have to do at Prof Den and Michael. Stick in the Prof because otherwise you won't find me. Right. <laughs> that, that's vital, Denon. That's absolutely vital. Uh, what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How the heck do you spell that? You spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, and on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn. Uh, and of course, if you want to send questions to the show, things we can answer, I think between the three of us, we can answer almost everything. Uh, and if we can't answer it accurately, we will act, uh, answer it entertainingly. Entertainingly? That's entertaining full? Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, questions at FGGBT.com is the place to do that. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. So you're going to have a choice before you, superhero or supervillain. I think you know what you want to do. As we always say, always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there. 
fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.